0: We're going through um, bit by bit, verse by verse, and we're looking at Ruth chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up and look at the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Four chapters, and we're at chapter 2. Last week we looked at uh, making wise decisions, and today we're looking at uh, trusting in God no matter what. Uh, Ruth meets Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, "'Whose young woman is that?' "'The foreman replied, "'She is the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi.' "'She said, "'Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves "'behind the harvesters.' "'She went into the field and has worked steadily "'from morning till now, "'except for a short rest in the shelter.' "'So Boaz said to Ruth, "'My daughter, listen to me. "'Don't go and glean in another field "'and don't go away from here. "'Stay here with my servant girls.' Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told them not to touch you, and wherever, you, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, "Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner?" Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for whatever, for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the, wine, in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also bought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living And the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish all my grain, uh, until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. As we uh, continue to worship God, let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for your word, uh, your word which speaks so clearly to us, which tells us who you are and what you require of us. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And God, we thank you that our church is uh, a biblically-based church. And in everything we want to do, God, we want to do it in accordance with your word. And God, we just ask today as your church gathers this morning that you would speak to us afresh that you would mould us and shape us into the people that you want us to be. And God, that you would care for us and watch over us like you did to Ruth and Naomi. God, this morning we pray for those that have come together here who are really hurting in so many different ways. God, where uh, pain or hurt, fear or doubt, uh, anger, frustration might be the emotions that people feel this morning. And God, we just pray that as we gather here this morning, you would minister to your people, your family. God, we pray for those that uh, feel like they just don't have the strength anymore, that you would strengthen them. God, that as they look to you, you would be their comfort and their kindness. Oh God, we pray that our church would continue to be one where each of us trust wholeheartedly in you, no matter what our circumstances. We love you, God. We want to say thank you for leading us this far in our lives. God, thank you for the ways in which you've helped us through tough times, through times where we've faced hardships of of all kinds. And God, thank you that we can say that we have found you faithful, that you've been with us, that you've guided us, And God, as we continue to worship you this morning, we pray that you would encourage us and lead us for our next stage in the journey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to do something that we only do annually, um, but we're going to do it today and next week because we want to catch every single person. In your news sheet, you'll have... Um, a a form which is simply entitled the Church Directory and Ministry Survey Form and we've tried all different ways of getting these to be filled out by everyone and giving everyone the opportunity but every year we always find that there's someone who misses out but to this point we've found this to be the most effective way right now we'd just love you to take out this uh, Church Directory and Ministry Survey Form and spend the next few minutes filling it in We'd just love you to go right through and think that out and uh, as now we give you the time to fill it in and they'll be collected from you. Now, if you don't have one of these, just raise your hand. Thanks, Sandy. Um, There are many people who look at the events in their life and the circumstances that they find themselves in and they uh, treat them as just accidents, accidents you know, random things that have happened in their life that have kind of just happened by chance. In fact, um, some of the people who actually relayed the events that happened in car accidents, um, when they told people what happened, some of the reports on the claim forms have been recorded and they were actually reported, real live reports or incidents that were recorded on insurance claim forms and these were told in Toronto News, and this is what they, will, they say. One driver says, Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided uh, with a tree I don't have. <laughs> Another driver wrote, I collided with a st- stationary truck coming the other way. <laughs> uh, in my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. <laughs> Uh, Another driver wrote about their accident, I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. (laughs) Another one said, uh, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. (laughs) Uh, Another one, the pedestrian had no idea which way to run, so I ran over him. (laughs) And finally, uh, one wrote... I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. <laughs> uh, accidents happened. Um, but I wonder how many things, the events in your life are accidents. I wonder, uh, are all the things that we find ourselves in just random acts of accidents or Could it be that God's wanting to use the very circumstances we're in to bring about his purposes? Do things really happen for a reason? In 1858, a Sunday school teacher uh, whose name was Mr. Kimball led a Boston shoe clerk to give his life to Jesus. The clerk's name was D.L. Moody, who after becoming a Christian in that Sunday school class became a great evangelist. And in 1879, while he was preaching in the heart of England, a pastor whose name was F.B. Meyer found that his heart uh, caught fire under his preaching. He later came to America, F.B. Meyer, to college campuses and he began to preach all over college campuses. And under his preaching, a student named Wilbur Chapman was saved. He engaged in YMCA work and uh, employed a former baseballer whose name was Billy Sunday to actually do the evangelistic work. Billy Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. Because uh, of the revival and because it stirred the hearts of many people, some 30 businessmen in the area wanted to devote a day of prayer in Charlotte for the upcoming event. evangelistic revival crusade and in May 1934 a farmer lent these men some land to use for their prayer meeting. The leader of the the businessmen, his name was Vernon Patterson and he prayed that out of Charlotte the Lord would raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. The businessmen uh, then called for another evangelistic meeting and they asked a man named Mordecai. A Mordecai Ham, a fiery southern evangelist who really shattered the complacency of the church-going people in Charlotte. The farmer who lent his land for the prayer meeting was Franklin Graham and his son, Billy, became a Christian during that meeting. What a coincidence. I wonder if that Sunday school teacher uh, would have ever known the impact of bringing that young uh, boy, D.L. Moody, to the Lord what impact that would have made. Billy Graham has turned out to be a preacher who have preached to so many people and God has used him to save so many lives. Uh, Coincidence? I don't think so. Um, I think when we stop to think more and more about the things that happen in our lives, we realise that God is working in ways behind the scenes that would astound us not just in the wonderful stories of leading people to the Lord, but also in the terrible hardships that we might face. God can use whatever circumstances to bring about his purposes. And you remember last week uh, we looked at Ruth and uh, the first chapter and we saw that she and Naomi were in terrible circumstances. And on the road back home from Moab, Ruth's sister-in-law, Orpah, Uh, uh, left them. She realised how terrible the circumstances were and realised it's going to be much better for her to go back to Moab. And so she left uh, Ruth and Naomi. But The Bible says that instead of leaving, Ruth clung to Naomi. And remember, she said those incredible words, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And she made an oath. She said to them, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And she turned and together, her and Naomi walked back to Bethlehem. In spite of circumstances, she made a decision to trust in God and go and stick with Naomi. And remember Naomi's speech as she came back to Bethlehem? You know, it wasn't one that said, Wow, here I'm back for a new start. Remember the people rejoiced and they welcomed her and she said, you know, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Uh, Call me bitter, Mara, uh, because the Lord's gone out against me. I've lost my husband, i lost my two sons. Now I've got nothing. Don't call me pleasant anymore. And remember that at the very end of that chapter, we saw the last verse, which says in verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Remember, uh, Bethlehem was the house of bread and they'd left it because there was a famine. And now as they come back, we get this little note to observe. They arrived as the barley harvest was the beginning. Um, God had been showing his people again his care, his kindness, and the crops had started to grow. Just a coincidence... Or as might happen, they'd returned right back at the time when God was at work. In verse 1 of chapter 2, look what what happens. It begins, now uh, Naomi had a relative. Oh, a relative. What's happening here? Um, And it it says there that it was on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. You, You see, Naomi had thought that she'd lost everything and she'd come back, um, you know, doing what was wise, but here's a little hint right at the very start of this chapter that something might happen and it's for you and I, the readers, to note is she had a relative and the relative was someone who was upstanding, who had a good reputation. I want you to just take notice of that and hang it in the side of your mind, be aware of that, there's some good things that might be coming in the future. So, now Naomi was bitter, she was desperate, she was feeling like she had nothing and no, you know, there was no good and while that happened they came back to Bethlehem. Ruth's attitude was completely the opposite, I want you to notice. She was, uh, she was someone who was feeling completely differently. She had nothing but in her mind she had Naomi's God and she was sticking with Naomi, and she was going to make the most of whatever little opportunities she had. So look what it says in chapter two, verse 2 of chapter 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go out to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Here we see Naomi uh, trusting in God no matter what. In her circumstances, she says, I'm not just going to sit back. She trusts in God. She says, I've made a commitment to follow Naomi. I've made a commitment to follow Naomi's God. And here I am in a foreign land. And even though I know it's very dangerous for me to go out into the fields at harvest time, I'm going to do what I can. You know, Ruth would have known that there were men all around those fields where she was going and that she was a foreigner from Moab, the enemy territory, and and that, she, uh, and that the Israelite people don't like people from Moab. And she would have gone there knowing that she'd be vulnerable because she didn't know anyone and because she was a woman from another country. She says, look, I'm, w- what's happening here? I'm going to go anyway, even if there are dangers. Naomi and I are going to starve if I don't go. So... I'm going to go out and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to make the best of the circumstances that I have. Notice, she doesn't whine. She doesn't complain. She doesn't make any excuses. She went out, vulnerable, doing lowly work, but trusting in God completely. You know, um, at harvest time, this is what would happen. The crops would, would grow up and the harvesters would come along and they'd cut the the, the stalks. Usually they were uh, men that would do this, big, strong men, and they'd have a sickle, and they would chop the harvest, the wheat. And uh, whatever the harvesters left behind would be picked up by some women, and they would uh, pick up them and tie them into sheaves. And some of the, the, the women that would come would be ones that were employed and they were well-known and were, may have been part of the family and they would come and they'd pick up the grain and they'd bind all into sheaves. Now, what happened after that is that gleaning would take place. Now, gleaning was, uh, involved the gathering of the stalks that had been left behind, that the people had left behind. So often people who were uh, coming behind would just try and get whatever was left on the ground, and it often wouldn't be very many. The people who usually did this were people who needed food and had no other means of income. In fact, the Bible says in uh, Leviticus chapter 19 and verses 9 to 10, uh, this is what God says, "...when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest." Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. Now in that time I'm sure not everybody would have obeyed that. You know, They would have tried to get every little bit out of their land. But what we see here is uh, in this field where Naomi's going, there's gleaning that's allowed and she's going to go and she's going to ask, would someone please just let me glean on your field and whatever's left over. So Ruth has been reduced to someone who's begging. You know, whatever is available, I'll just take whatever I can get. I I don't have any status, I'm a foreigner, I'm out on my own, but I'll just do whatever I can to get by. You know, um, she doesn't say, uh, you know, my husband's died too, I'm from another land, I'm supposed to be, you're supposed to be looking after me, Naomi. I followed you. What are you doing? Why don't you go out and do the work? She could have said, gleaning? What are you talking about? Gleaning? I'm not going to go gleaning. Gleaning in the fields? You know, you said God's against you, Naomi. Why don't you go out? Uh, She doesn't sit there and mope. She didn't blame God. She could have got bitter at him. She could have done all those things. But she didn't. She just went out. And she trusted that God would get her out of this impossible situation if she did what she could with the little that she had. She was willing to glean. I just want to say to you today, church, there are many people who say, I want to serve the Lord. Um, I, I want to be someone who's going to be greatly used by you, God. And someone says, well, how about you do this little thing over here? And people say, oh, no, 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 no. I want to serve the Lord, but anything but that. You know, I don't do gleaning. People sometimes say, not in those words, but um, you know, some people say, "How about uh, helping washing up or, or cleaning the church?" Or, or why don't you just join a small group? Or and people say, "No, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm wanting to find something that will really be of impact for God's kingdom." And we kind of think that. We know the ways God's going to use us and God's going to work in our lives, and we kind of tend to think that that way is going to be something that's valuable or recognized if we're really honest. But you know what I find? I find that God uses people who glean. You know, I find that God greatly uses people who do what they can with the little that they have. That they say, uh, I'm happy to do the ordinary things. I'm happy to be faithful with uh, all that I have. I'm just going to do it with all my heart, no matter how small it is. And I'm going to provide for you, God says, in the most amazing way. You know, when people actually say, I'll oh, do what I can. I remember a friend of mine saying, he watched this film, and you might have seen it, it was a while ago, a Christian film, and there was a man in the film who actually believed God was going to use him in great and mighty ways. And he said... God's going to use me. He's going to use me. I'm a great man, a guy, and I know God's going to use me. And all, during the film, this you know, young, younger guy came up and tugged him on the shirt and said, hey, can you, can you spend some time with me? I just need to talk to someone. He said, no, no, no. Look, uh, leave me alone. I've got some great stuff. God's going to use me. You know, thanks. I'll, I'll catch up with you later. Then later on in the movie, you know, the boy came up again. The guy came up, can you please help me? I've got some issues in my... No, no, look, I, I, there's somebody else that can help you, but God's going to use me and I'm looking for this thing. And, you know, at the end of the movie, uh, the guy standing comes up at, uh, before God and God says to him, he says, you know, uh, you know that little guy that was tugging on your shirt? I, I wanted to use him greatly and I wanted you to be the one that would help Him come to know me and be used greatly. And you missed the opportunity. You were looking at the big stuff when I wanted you just to be doing the things that you thought were small. Um, I I just want to say that that's something that we all need to hear. God wants us to be faithful now, not waiting uh, for the things that we don't have, to happen before we act. He wants us to just use the things in front of us right now. You know, in 1 Samuel 17, let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. It's the uh, next book after Ruth, 1 Samuel 17. In there is the story of David and Goliath. And, and, and you know the, the setting? There's... Uh, the Israelites and the Philistines and there's this Philistine named Goliath and he sort of keeps yelling out and he says, come on, have a go, you know, come on, who's got any guts to come and fight me from the Philistine army? And David and his brothers are just cowering. They're they're afraid and they don't know what to do. And David comes onto the field and he gives um, some food to his brothers. And if we have a look about verse 29, um, and, and just before that, David's going around asking the people what's going on. And in verse 29... Um, this is what he says. Now, what I've, have I done? I can't even speak. Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out and fight this Philistine. And fight him? Uh, You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, now listen to how David's been faithful in the small things right here. Your servant, this is verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the Lord. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul is convinced and he says to David, go and the Lord be with you. And he was, wasn't he? All I want you to know is that being a shepherd was like gleaning. It was the same as gleaning. It was like being left out there while all the others had the glory jobs. They were out going to war and they were, had all the armour and they were talking about it all with their mates and sharing war stories and it was exciting. And yet David was sitting on the side of some out-of-town out hill with some sheep and all he had to do was sit around there. And David didn't sit there going, oh, sheep. Boy, I wish I had at least some bulls or something exciting like that. You know, he didn't complain. He, 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 he sort of uh, didn't either um, run off when animal, wild animals came. You know, there were shepherds in those days who sort of said, I'm out here to look after the sheep. But boy, <laughs> I'm not risking my life on a lion or a bear. I mean, if a bear comes, I'll give him a sheep to save my life. But David didn't. He was faithful with what he had. And when a bear came and when a lion came, he took him on and he killed the thing. And you know what? He was faithful with the small things. So when Goliath is standing there, you know, David walks up boldly and kills Goliath. And God says, I'm preparing you now to be a king, King David. You know, I think God wants us to be faithful in using the small things just like him. And I think if we're faithful in that, he'll be preparing us for all that he wants to do in our lives. Don't go for the big things all the time. Don't think God wants to use you for the massive things without first being used in the faithful things. You know, I've found this true in my life. I, I, I just sort of did what people asked. If anyone offered for something, I just thought, I'm going to do it the best of I can. I'm going to try and be as reliable and as faithful. I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to give my best at what I've got. And boy, if I can do that and people ask me to do something else with more responsibility, then praise be to God. That would be an honour. That would be great. And, you know, I, I think as that has kept happening, I've been entrusted bit by bit with more responsibility. And you never once get to the point of thinking, wow, isn't this great? No, every time God gives you something else, it's more responsibility to be entrusted with and say, God, I'm just going to keep serving you faithfully with it. But it starts with the small things. And Ruth did this. She got up in the morning and she went into a land and she was in a foreign place and she had nothing going for her and she risked everything and she got out and she started doing what God was giving her in a situation to do. I just want to ask, what's your challenges this morning? What are you in the midst of? It could be that maybe 20 years ago, something wounded you so badly that you've never gotten over it really to this day. It's been a block between you and God. Perhaps you've said to God, you you, you let me down. Maybe you feel like he let you down sometime in the past and you've withdrawn from trusting in him. And perhaps you feel that you're like, you could never sort of, again, get to a point where you can trust him. Uh, You know, uh, I think what God wants to say to you today is that you can trust him, that he he, he is someone you can trust. And by you just being faithful with the small things, with what you have right now, with putting your trust in him, he will help you through that. He'll help you make it to the next stage. So... This is what happens. Now in comes this other man now, Boaz. And Boaz shows great kindness to Ruth. Let's look at Ruth chapter 2 again. And Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. And he greeted the harvesters and he said, Lord, be with you. Now I've got to tell you, I'm a pastor and I work with Phil and with Gail as well. They're pastors as well. But we never come into work and say, Phil, Lord be with you. It just, it's just not part of our way of talking. And yet we're, we're pastors. But Boaz here walks in and he walks in and he greets his workers and he says, Lord be with you. He uses the name uh, Yahweh in, in the Hebrew, Lord, which means the personal God, our God. And he comes and he says, Lord be with you. Now right there is a sign for us. Boaz is someone who honours God with his life. And he's really wanting to do what Leviticus has, has you know, instructed his people to do, to allow people to glean in his field. And so he comes and he notices that Ruth is there. He, he asks. You can have a look in verse chapter 4. Just then, Boaz arrived and greeted the harvesters. And then in verse 5... Boaz asked the foreman, who's this young woman? Who is that? And then the foreman replies, you know, this is Ruth. She's been here really early and she's been working flat out. She just asked whether she could glean. And so she's been really working hard and steadily from morning except except for that very short rest in the middle of the day. And so Boaz comes and he shows kindness, incredible kindness to a vulnerable girl. He, He says to her, My daughter, in verse 8, listen to me. Don't glean in any other field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, you can go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. Now, what we see here is... That Boaz is really helping her. And I don't think this is a coincidence. God has provided one of his faithful followers, an Israelite who trusts in him, to come and to care for Ruth. Boaz notices her, he asks about her, and then he provides for her by her safety. He says, You know, I've told my workers in the field that they're to look after you. And what's Ruth's response? She doesn't say, oh, yeah, thank you, thanks for all that. She bowed down in verse 10 with her face to the ground and she exclaimed, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Then verse 11 says his reply, you know, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I want to tell you just something to notice here. We have heard so much about these two characters just in these last verses. We hear about uh, Boaz and his character the way he says, the Lord be with you, the way he cares for those that are vulnerable, the way he provides safety for Ruth, the way he provides um, you know, for her. I want to tell you that every single day you are building a reputation by the way you treat others. Uh, if you are someone who's negative and critical, you will become known as a negative and critical person. If you're someone who cares for the vulnerable, you'll have a reputation of someone who's loving and caring for the vulnerable. If you're someone who stands with those who are destitute and hurt, that will become known to you. Now, already we hear that Boaz is a godly man who cares for the poor, whose workers are those that obey him and listen to him and honour him. And Boaz honours God. And the next little passage that we've read, we see that Boaz has been hearing about Ruth's reputation in the midst of suffering and tough times. Do you know, do you see how he's been hearing about Ruth? So he says, You know, I've been told all about what you've done. People have been talking about the way Ruth has lived her life and the way she's shown such dedication to and honoring her husband and now staying with Naomi and now she's been gleaning all morning. Faithfully, and people notice. I just want to say every single day, uh, the actions that you make will cause people to think either good of you or bad of you. Every single time you speak, every time you say something, every time you show something, people are either knowing that you are a person who loves God or a person who is far from God. So be careful. These are two great examples of people that are constantly honouring God in the way they live. As we just come to the close, the rest of the whole section is now showing how God provides faithfully for this desolate woman Ruth through Boaz, one of her servants. And I I, I want to close just today by by asking you two, two questions. God in this way uses Boaz to care wholeheartedly for Ruth. Right through this chapter, Ruth and Naomi are cared because one godly man looked out for those that were worse off. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are you someone who God is using to help people that are going through really tough times? God wants to help people who are suffering and are you someone who's doing that Uh, I wonder how you could do that I mean for me I think about this whole region of uh, Albury Wodonga and there are so many people that come here to study uni students who've left home and have left their families and their friends and they come here you know young in age and they come to live here and they haven't got any friendships or people around them and uh, they're great people who just might value some, some help and a dinner or someone getting to know them or sharing with them or, or talking with them. That would be a great thing. There are other families that come here for work purposes where maybe they've just been transferred and they leave all that they've known before, families and friends, and they come to live here in Wodonga. There might be people next door or people around. And, and you know, just by having them over or or catching up with them, or showing kindness to them might be a real way of doing that. You know, there are refugee people who settle in Wodonga and Albury, and if you know people like that, you can really help. People have language problems, people have culture problems, people have really challenges. And keep your eyes out for people that look like they might be having just difficulties in finding friendships and and knowing other people. In this church right now, there are people here that feel like they're being... They're not part of what's going on, feeling a little bit left out. And you could be a Boaz to other people by just spending time, by talking with them, by asking how things are going in their lives and by you know, getting to know them better, pausing, taking time. You know, One thing that's so clear in this passage is that God really wants to help those that are suffering, those that are facing difficult circumstances, those that are poor those that are hungry. Uh, in our uh, office each week, people come and take away bags of food. We've told you about them. People come and keep filling up uh, as they go shopping. They buy extra and they put in the box out the back and, and we just are able to keep helping people um, in that way. You know, Boaz, he didn't wear a badge saying, I help people. You know, he didn't join a march, hold a placard saying, God's using me. He just got about the business of showing kindness to others. He, he just did it. And his reputation was known. Oh, I'd love each one of us to be people that people look at and they say, they're godly people. They know, they know God and they just care and they do it without making a song and dance. They're just caring for me. The second thing I just want to leave with today is if you're feeling destitute, if you're feeling uh, left out, if you're feeling like you're unemployed or poor, or if you're feeling like you're broken this morning, if you're feeling like you're really finding it hard to, to, to belong, if you find that for whatever reason you often feel like crying, God cares. God really does care. Uh, this whole book of Ruth shows about how God cares about two women in desperate circumstances. And he cares about you, whether it's an illness that you're struggling in, which you feel like nobody would ever understand what you're going through. God knows. Not only does he care, but he wants to help you. He wants to help you. He's not indifferent to it. He's actively wanting to help you in that circumstance. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his care. He wants to provide ways to help you through what you're doing. And there are people all around you. We'd love our church to be like Boaz for you right now. We'd love uh, the the people uh, around today to be able to help you. God wants to be right with you with what you're going through. It's just like God. You know, right through the Bible, he talks about caring for refugees, caring for those that are, uh, are suffering, those that are lost. And Paul says, you know, hey, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, God, God said in um, Isaiah 57, he, he said, you know, you know what? He said, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. But I'm also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly. To receive the heart of the contrite. God wants to touch you and meet you right where you are today. He wants to help you to be strong, to be trusting in him no matter what. To make it through so you can be someone who says, whatever my circumstances, good or bad, you know, difficult or, or wonderful, I'm with you in the midst. After the service, we'd just love to pray with you or we'd love you to spend time just talking with other people. <coughs> Share you know, if there's ways that others can help you. Let's be Boazes to people who are like Ruth and Naomi. And if you're feeling like Ruth and Naomi today, be someone who says, please, God, help me right where I am. Don't harden the heart. Get the help. Uh, cry out to God. Let's pray. Oh, God, what a loving God you are. You don't miss the smallest of our hurts. You don't overlook the quietness of our cries for you. God, you provide your love and your care for us in ways that just continue to astound us. And we just want to say thank you, God. We pray, God, this morning that you would be providing your love and your care for those that need you most now. And God, for those that you've uh, been with and strengthened in times past, we pray that you would help those to help those that are hurting this morning. We thank you, God, for your love and your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'd just love you to respond. Um, There might be a prayer request that you'd love us to be praying with you for. Um, Perhaps there's something that you'd like to respond to on the back. We'd just love to give you a few minutes to to fill these cards out. Let's do that right now.